Pod Dam, it's that time. Another Wednesday night, another deep dive into the fringes of esoteric research. <laughs> With uh we got some returning champions here. Of course, y'all know him, you love him. Gabriel, the slickest of all dissidents who can do the splits in his PJs. And we got George for his George Mesa of Third Edify podcast. He is returning to the channel, but it's his first vibrant. After that incredible music theory episode that he gave us, all that great research, I was like, I need you to start talking to Lucas and create another amazing conversation for us. <laughs> and then uh, Lucas got pretty gung-ho about their collaborations, and now we've got 44 slides to go through. <laughs> you guys know Lucas, of course, Elsie King of the uh, eponymous Rockfin channel name. And right, so what do you guys think? We should probably start talking. How's, how's everyone doing? Good. Excellent. Excellent. That's right. Fired up. Very calm, but excellent. <laughs> uh, George, so what's life been like since we last talked? You know, um, did you guys really spiral up into some wild uh, rapid fire conversations, you and Lucas? Oh, yeah. <laughs> we're talking almost daily since then, you know, it's been awesome. And I'm so glad that you connected us because we're we're finding things out about our own level, you know, our own sides of the research. And it's really exciting. It's really cool. Yeah, George has been the uh, master and I've been the apprentice yeah, right. um, <laughs> with, with music stuff. I'm just like, I feel like someone's, you know, when I ask him questions and he, I get an answer, it's like someone talking about the, how I talk about the galvanic cell. You know what I mean? It's like, uh, what? <laughs> so I'm trying to work it out. But yeah, definitely nowhere near his level of expertise in uh, music sort of theory. But uh, we'll do our best, hey? Yeah, maybe we'll even get him to play the bass again. That was awesome. <laughs> What's that up, everyone fun. in the chat? I see uh, Zerlath, Michelle Mullen, and Michelle of Michelle's Healing Home. Glenn J, good to see you all here. Sound off in the chat if you present. Let people know that you are in this live chat and that it's really fun. Bring your friends. This is going to be a good one. Nicholas Burnett, good to have your comment and your presence. Thank you so much. Gabriel, I'm sure you've got a full cup. Uh, Enneagram much? <laughs> you gonna be on the Enneagram? Are you gonna fuse the Enneagram into this conversation? I think so, man. Yeah, uh, the Enneagram has really been my focus. And you know, LC dropped a little video on me uh, about a week ago about the math magic of one divided by seven, and how that uh, reveals the repeating pattern of the one, two, four, five seven and eight of the Enneagram and it avoids the three, six, nine. So the one seven has been on my radar for a long time, going back to when we did the last show with Elsie King in the aspect of the 17th triangular number is 153. That's the number of the fish in the net. And we know that there are fishers of men and the one five three is just popping up everywhere. I know I look. Uh, so yeah, it's a, and, uh, and then there's the cue of it all, which is just like, you know, you got to get rid of the, the urge to not pay attention to that letter. You got to, you know, spit the name out of your mouth and move on. <laughs> uh, so yeah, the one in the seven is, uh, has been really revealing to me. So yeah, I'm looking forward to filling in more plugs. I didn't know that about one divided by seven, but it actually kind of makes sense that if you divide the one, the monad by seven, the septenary, that it creates some sort of dynamic where the Trinity becomes 
hidden. Yes. <laughs> it's it's uh, still present. It's in between the lines or something. I don't know. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's uh, it's uh, a very entertaining rabbit hole, and I'm uh, still still journeying around in that realm of form. So this will be fun to get musical with it. Cool, guys. Well, uh, should we jump in? You guys have other opening thoughts yeah. before we do? We've got a bit of geometry to get through with this because just of how music is actually, you know, how you find uh, the notes in music and the harmonics and that uh, reciprocal numbers. So, yeah, well, let's get into it. And I, for the start of this, I really did just like a um, a rehash of a few different ideas that we've we've already gone across. So I thought we can just quickly go through them so it gives people a basis to work from, you know. In the words of Ben Balderson, you betcha. And here we are. <laughs> the threshing floor. Cool. Yeah, I heard some of this get talked about. Uh, you know, I've, I've heard bits and pieces of where we're going with this, but um, walk us through some of these key words here in our introductory slide. Um, so the, the threshing floor is um, basically the symbolism I've found that is really, really appropriate for the Zodiac um, and something that they did in the past that was sort of their actions was playing out the heavens in a sense. So, um, and basically what it was is a circular floor um, with a, a post in the center and you would put all your um, wheat and grains on, lay it down with the stalks on and then you'd walk the animals around the circle and they'd crush all the, the stalks of the, of the wheat and that it would free up the seeds. And you would tie the, usually tie the animal to that central pillar and that would guide the animals around in the circle and there'd be a man behind it walking. And you'd either use horses or you would use ox. So um, what they were basically playing out is that central pillar um, or that uh, Mount Meru or the Omphalus stone, um, Polaris would be that central pillar um, that you guys, you and Mario touched on a lot in the last episode. And then the animals, the which is basically the zodiac, which is an animal. The zodiac means circle of animals or animal circle. And so the animals would walk around that and that would be representative of the um, seasons or the hours um, and the stars as well and sun and moon. And you get all those concepts that come around and they're just circling around this singular nomen or the point. So that's why I thought I'd just start this off because it sort of leads into a bunch of different um, other geometries that come from this as well, the monad. Awesome, man. Uh, you guys got anything to jump in on? Just feel free to fire out there. I, we definitely want to hear from you, George. I mean, and Gabriel too, but we know he's not shy. <laughs> well, I, I see the maypole here for sure. This is very... It's almost exactly the same idea. If there was a tent involved, let's say, this could look a lot like that. And um, I, it's just a total sync on this one too, because I just did something on sundials, and the sundial has a gnomon. It's the you know this is a sundial, so it's just a great coincidence there. I see, I see exactly why we're putting this out first too. It's 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 going to be a big factor musically, astrologically, and in all the topics that we're going to discuss. Yeah, that's correct. It is a, a sundial. So you'll be able to tell the seasons and um, the hours from it. And we'll look at, as we go forward, you'll see that the, the horse 
um, and these three aspects start to come into play, um, which will relate to your Enneagram and those sort of things as well. Um, nice. Okay. So just a couple like random weaves to uh, kind of fill in, like you mentioned the maypole. Uh, and one thing I learned was that with the maypole, they had the boys would have like sometimes one color of a ribbon and the girls would have another color. And the boys would go in one direction and the girls would go the other direction and they would crisscross and make an X as they crossed each other's paths going in two opposite directions. And then in the end, the, the ribs created a perfect, uh, like a woven structure around the pole, much like a, I know this is a kind of a bad college joke, but it's like finger cuffs. Uh, you know how they're uh, they're like this fancy weave that uh, yeah. yeah, and then um, the other thing that comes to mind is the fact that barley stone uh, is so so is a you know a, something that used to grind the grains, and Rockefeller's name means barley stone, and Samson was uh, spent the end of his days working on the mill we're pushing the millstone and also uh all of this ties to that north star we know uh that the pole the pole star concept and we know that that's very important symbolically to the powers that be because the word continuation of government is cog the cog the continuation of the covenant the cog so these symbols are very important to the uh, very high up powers that be you know, I've been thinking a lot lately, the pole star is very possibly the monad or the first person of the Trinity. And in the ancient stuff, as far as I can tell, that's the being in terms of gods that they didn't make images of. And the very fact that the character, the number one, <laughs> resembles like, you know, an obelisk, a phallus. This is the uh, the pattern, the potter you know, the first circle that the next one that comes off of it, the duad or the, yeah, the duad, it is actually creating two more persons of the Trinity in and of itself, because as it moves away from the first circle, you know, in a geometry sense, you get a second circle, but now you have the vesica between them. So the two, the one divides into two, which automatically becomes three. And that makes me think too, of like how the, what you just described with the braiding around the pole, the maypole, and the fact that braid, it sounds like bride, <laughs> you know, the, the duad is the bride of the monad. You wow. bridle the horse and the horse is what's going around the pole. It's attached by a bridle. You know, there's like a lot of, it's all, it's all one thing, you know? Yeah, that's great. You're, you're setting it up nicely because there's a bunch of slides that are going to show you exactly what you said as well as how that relates to music so let's go let's so, go yeah, this is, <laughs> <laughs> so um this one's just again um we probably just covered this i just added it in but it's got the the horse you can see when you take the vows out you get the hours you get um this horai as well which we'll get to that which is uh basically the three goddesses um, of the seasons, the natural portions of time. Um, they presided over the revolutions of the heavenly constellations, which the year was measured. Uh, so 
basically they were the sort of the three fates um, spin spinned out the web of fate, you know. Um, yeah, so that was that. You can see I've I've done a picture there with the um, nine months, the the year divided into nine, and they would be the three sort of um, the spring, the summer, and the winter would be the three seasons. Um, which is an interesting way to to actually divide the year up. You can do it multiple ways, but the the Enneat is a, is a nice way of doing it. It means it's divided into um, thirty six days per month, and yeah, you do that nine times. So, oh, sorry, forty days. That's the faster calendar. Sorry about that. Yeah, yeah, I love that you brought up this connection of the horse to the HRS, the Hey Resh Shen of the Hebrew language, which is also, you know, it's in all kinds of languages, but it's uh, that which is carrying like har, but it's also your Horus. It's, uh, you know, if you, all you have to do is add a C before it to have C-H-R-S and you've got your crest, which is the origin of Christianity. Crestus meaning good in Greek, which good, we know good is God and all that. Or, I mean, there's also Chorus. Yeah. Chorus. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Big time. Yeah. What else do we want to throw out on this? Oh, let's go to the next one. So we've got in the, on that central gnomon, that central pillar, um, we've got Apollo seated on the Omphalos stone. Um, Again, we've got, I've gone back to to show that you know this is related to the net, to the stone, the um, also the serpent that's wrapped around the stone. Uh, these sort of ideas all come from that central pillar idea, and Apollo is basically logos, um, the idea of the mediator, the harmony um, between these sort of uh, extremes. And that's what the the sort of pole star is in a sense. It's this extreme between the sun and the moon, which is seen as sort of like twins, uh, two polarities, and it mediates between the two. So, and we'll get into how that applies to um, music and the keyboard as well, and, and where that actually fits into that. Just I think we should, uh, we should quickly throw in too, based on the previous slide that the number three, you know, um, it's obviously a triad musically speaking and in other things that we're going to discuss, but there's other um, trinities that exist in music. And I think it's really going to keep the three in mind. It's going to be a very impactful number throughout all of this too. Yeah, man. I'm glad we stopped on this for a second. Uh, so AP is a one seven in ordinal reduced. So we're already, and then we've got a triangle as well. I've been thinking a lot about Apollo. He's been on my mind a lot, but the way we spell it is generally AP, Apollo. Uh, so yeah, and it, the music, here comes the music for sure. Well, that's yeah, right. Was- this image is interesting. I actually kind of, I'm trying to read what the Greek words are in the coin right now. Looks so like we have I L S I L, yeah, and then E. Iso. The last word is the hard one. I'm pretty sure that's an omega, and then another S. So that's like Il C Isil 
Leos. <laughs> is it Illinois? <laughs> okay, it's Illinois. It is. <laughs> There's no uh, N. So Apollo and Artemis have really been coming up a lot. Uh, they, you know, they're the twins. They, they're, they're like babushka dolls of meaning. Clearly, you know, one has a silver bow, one has the golden bow. So they got the moon and the sun. But I'm also seeing, I think, the the yoke shapes of the lunar standstills, the two nodes. I think they're they're also embodying the lunar standstill nodes with their opposing bows, because one lunar standstill is in. Sagittarius, which is the sage guitarius, Apollo is the guitarius, the guitar player, and the other one, the other yoke or node shape is up in Taurus, just about, in opposition. That's why, I think that's why the Sagittarius, I always aim my arrow towards the bull, because sage guitarius, there's the corresponding nodes there, so uh, that's, that's where my research is kind of drumming up lately. Oh, super awesome. I'm getting lost in the Greek letters. Let's go forward. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So he's on the Umphalus again. Um, looks like some serpents or something coming mm-hmm. off of it too. And they got the lyre, which is, yeah, I'm not sure how many strings that said he had, like maybe seven strings or something like that. But um, yeah, so he's, he's the, um, the god of sort of harmony and music as well. So. Okay, I see. I see the uh, Jesus it's 11 parable. Strings according to according to a quick Google search, and we know we can't necessarily trust that. So I see the Jesus parable here, which you know probably came from Apollo. So uh, a man was sick. Uh, Jesus had him lay down on his side, and Jesus dabbed a piece of bread in vinegar, and. While the man's laying naked on his side and he puts the piece of bread just a little distance away from his butthole and a tapeworm crawls out of the guy's butthole and Jesus takes a stick and or a rock. He takes a stone and smashes the, uh, the tapeworm's head. And then there's some, you know, wisdom healing parable that comes out of that story. But that's I mean, all the ingredients are here. <laughs> it's coming out of his butt. Yeah, I guess yep. it's true. That's really interesting. That would be what a real uh, physician did. De-parasite you, de-worm you. Okay, so we're sort of getting into the geometry a little bit now. Um, So in the Greek mythology, the so-called robe or veil of harmonia was probably the reference to the geometrical net. It is a fish's net for the entire pattern uh, is governed by the square root of three in the realm of geometry springs from the vesica Pisces, the uh, vessel of the fish. The symbolism predates Christianity and represents the woven web of nature or the vilifying power of harmony, which enforces the pattern of creation. Uh, the Unfellas stone is the temple in the temple of Apollo at Delphi was covered with a netting pattern. In the language of ancient mysticism, to unrail the veil is to to discover the weaver. So, this um, basically the the different uh, ratios that come out of the vesica are extremely important to um, to how you actually work out the frequencies or the harmonies in music, and you know create those. Um, 
distances in the string. And it's all out of the, the vesica that allows you to do that. Um, those types of basically they're, they're harmonic means in a sense. So we'll keep going. Whip through these first few. Okay, cool. So this is the net, um, and it's based on um, 37, 37 points, or um, and it's you'll see that it has the cube that's embedded into it, which is a 27-faced cube, or it's basically the Rubik's Cube. And you can see how this is important. It is sort of descriptive of the, the Trinity in its full flower of life sort of thing. It's, it's 37 times 3 gives you these triple div- digits that actually um, start to repeat. So has special qualities, um, the 37. Do you know, it's a, I'm guessing is a prime number. Do we know what number prime 37 is? Kind of curious about that. I'll just go look it up. Yeah, look it up. I don't know. This is a review from a presentation you've already given us, but it's worth, like, I'm glad we're reviewing it because. Uh, it's the 12th. The 12th. Yeah. All right. Yeah, buddy. The 12th prime number is 37. That seems like really important. Yeah. And interestingly, the 37 times 12 gives you 444, another 12. Yeah, which, wow. is a, which is a multiple of 1776. And you'll see these numbers, the 666 and the 888, relate directly to um, to musical notes and where they're positioned. So and this has this flower of life. Um, has a direct relationship to the proportions of music, um, the perfect fifth, the perfect fourth, and those sort of things. Um, yep. Right. Wow, it's major, major it's starting well. to already sound like maybe the system of musical theory has some deep justifications in geometry. Yeah, it's built off it. Awesome. So I just wanted to show that this omphalus and how it connects um, using the septenary cipher uh, you'll get the the number twenty seven. You'll get um, the word equus, or the other ones. Jesus is the same, has the same. Um, it has a four four and a five instead of a five and a four. But you'll get the six 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 that comes out of the two sixteen eighteen those sort of things. But it's all based on the the word on phallus, um, which Apollo sits on, which is that sort of um, central Mount Meru, central rock. Um, the gnomon that the Did you know that another over. word for umphal or another a modern meaning for umphalus is the scar where the umbilical cord was attached? Oh, that does hmm. ring a bell. Yeah, yeah. I just thought Gabriel might. Hell yeah, I'm loving it. <laughs> <laughs> it's that Yggdrasil, the the egg and the lizard. Yeah. So there's a 20, that's how you can draw the 27 total cubes in there. Uh, it has, so basically that's how that comes into the, it's the Rubik's cube that comes in there. Actually the 27th cube, it has 26 on the outside and then the 27th cube is hidden inside it. Um, and the Rubik's cube has a heap of numbers sort of like encoded in, in how you do it and all this sort of stuff as well. It's like a whole, study in itself, you know. 
So the 27, um, like we said, was the Omphalos. It's also the Equus, uh, the Jesus. They're both um, exactly the same in sort of septenary cipher. And they also have an encoding of um, 432 uh, as well. So, yep. Again, we see the 27 is in terminal. Mercury is and Jesus, they all have the same um, breakdown in septenary. Um, and that just, again, is more backing up the, the 20, how important the 27 is. Um, in relation to this sort of flower of life, the cube, and um, also to the moon's synodic time as well. There's a deep relationship with the moon in the 27 days that it takes for the for a synodic of the moon. They call it a sidereal, so, but that's just in their heliocentric model, but it's actually a synodic. Yeah, man. Uh, interesting that the, like, you just showed us all that cube stuff, the black stone in, um, Dylan's fourth book. He talks about how a lot of these gods were worshiped with a black cube, a square black stone or something along those lines. Terminus was one of them. And, um, so was Mercury, <laughs> as you're showing here in the geometry, uh, Gematria. It's, we're talking about the same being. Mercury sets the boundaries, right? Yeah, they're all examples of Apollo. Um, just different sort of version, different names. It just it's the same theme theme between it's a mediator between the sun and the moon, or this um, the midpoint between. You'll see that the this actually ties into music amazingly well. Um, it's really an amazing system. And so something to what, mention what, too before I forget, because okay. I always forget to mention this when I'm talking about this stuff, is that the um, 28th um, partial of the overtone series is another octave. So if we see 27, we could be getting basically a complete set. It just doesn't have another octave. Or it could actually be that the fundamental counts as zero and 27 in that scenario equals 28. And we get, you know, it's an octave. It could actually represent an octave too. Wow. Yeah, it's like that law of Kalel in Gematria that plus or minus one and you're still, it's the same number same too number. Right. mystically. Right. Wow. So it's almost like the full card, the zero card could be the Omphalus egg of, of the, in the beginning, you know? Yeah. Oh, right. And then that 27 character, the, you know, mercurial character could be completion of one side or starting the other side so he's like crossing the boundary between the octaves in that way too wow that's cool that's cool so uh something that came up listening to balderson on crow is he mentioned uh lithium um being a key element of his work and uh i'm thinking that lithium corresponds with the number three on the Enneagram, but it has always, the word lithium uh, and uh, Lilith, uh, I've always corresponded those very strongly, but there's a thing called uh, lithophilia. Lithophilia is like the love of stones. And so if you're like, like uh, Chance, you're probably a lithophile. Did you know that? 
It's not because I talk like this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's something that's been on my radar. Is like the uh, so I'm putting li- uh, lithium and Lilith in number three in my enneagram, uh, which is a multiple of that twenty-seven. But I think we got an interesting fundamental. This idea of the the stone is the fundamental, the zero is the fundamental, the base, the starting point. And here we've gotten to 27 and we're, we're realizing we've completed this. Uh, mm. This is really fun. Yeah. So we're just looking at the um, flower of life again, and it's basically you can see that the 666 is, you know, it's got three hexagrams basically, um, and they're nestled inside each other. And so that gives you the 666, which we'll see is related to a perfect fifth and is related to uh, the sun. And makes me think of the equator and the tropics too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Actually, there is a there is a correspondence there on how you do mapping and this uh, flower of life as well. You think this could be in a, a more true design of major ley lines on the realm too? It's possible. Um, it's hard to say. We just don't have enough information to, to base anything on, really, of how things are laid out, you know. Yeah, I guess I always found it, like, really hard to understand ley lines on a ball and have been waiting for somebody to present to me a, a flat, plain realm ley line map to see, like, what the geometry would look like there. When I applied this to our realm and gave the the rough um, – do the rough mathematics of the of distances you actually get um this nice sort of ratio between uh, nautical miles and um, actual miles like miles are actually um sort of explaining the the radius whereas nautical miles are sort of explaining the uh circumference so there's there's this like nice little correlation and all, all the numbers are sort of harmonics of each other as well which is nice wow Again, that that's fascinating uh oh there's a i think there's a whole lot to that you know there there's uh saint peter's cross is called the nautical cross and it's down in the southern hemisphere and it's for the 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 Navagangis, the navigators, the sailors, and uh, and then so that's just a thought. Is uh, you know, I I often wonder if the sailors and the pirates, if they venerate the the uh, cosmology of the southern hemisphere more, and if the land lovers up in the northern hemisphere, if they get the pole star up north. And there's like two poles, you know, a Joaquin and a Boaz in that in that aspect, theoretically. You know, there's also the theory that Topher put out there recently about the Earth either being paramagnetic or diamagnetic, depending on the region. And that basically that's like magnetism that's either. Uh, I think diamagnetic is where it's like a straight line type of magnetism is in a directional flow. And then paramagnetic is where it's like going in all directions. And I could be butchering this, this podcast, bro science, but uh, it makes me think of like, I wonder if the, you know, Northern hemisphere regions that have a more complete view of the North and the pole 
have that diamagnetic and you see the thus you see the more like sort of a masculine left brain dominated very singular direction of purpose type societies more the northern and you know the southern are more easygoing socially cohesive uh <laughs> you know conform conforming but harmonious uh yeah. chaotic in a way less structure i've wondered about like that where if your position where you live actually dictates like some you know these outcomes of cultural stuff you know what i mean like that's astrocartography there's a whole study of that too oh really yeah okay but i was like how did australians end up the way they are like just yeah (laughs) <laughs> that's a great i love that idea uh there it, it, not to derail too much but there's a, a one of the uh in the 30s there's a famous author and he escapes me right now but he wrote about werewolves and his philosophy was that uh northern uh peoples are more carnivorous because they don't have you know abundant fruit all the time so they gotta li- they gotta eat animals so they're more carnivorous and that they are the source of um owning other humans as property and this is why they're so uh, ob- obsessive and when they marry each other there's like a, a a jealousy to the bone built into their dna uh so when they marry somebody they're like they got the contracts they got the you know i'll kill anybody who messes with my girl they got all that in their mentality So they're considered like the werewolf carnivorous blood types. And then he also says that people down around the tropics, they're like a little willy nilly. They don't necessarily have to get married. And if you're, you know, if yeah, there's more swingers down around the the waistband of, (laughs) of the globe. (laughs) This makes me think of the mythology of, I think probably one of the main origins of the lycanthrope idea. King Lycaon. Lycaon of uh, Greece. He was yes. the guy that fed Zeus his not Zeus's own son, but the king fed Zeus his own son as a test of Zeus's omniscience. <laughs> like right. I got it, I got into a Lycaon rabbit hole after having Mario on last Sunday night, and because one of the images from that book was of that particular myth, and it's interesting because you have the like in it which is like, you know, wolf lichen, lichen yeah. throat, that whole word. And then Kaon or C-A-O-N is almost like Cohen, which is a name for a priest or a dog, depending on the language. So it's like uh, suggesting maybe that this burnt flesh offering to the gods that is sort of cannibalistic and distasteful is a origin of the priest class. And the priest classes are the werewolves, if you will. I don't know. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I think that guy, I think uh, that character is on H.P. Lovecraft's cover. I think that mythological character is on the cover. So it's pretty important to some of those darker uh, occultists. All right, let's get through this slides of geometry. I'm sure that we're not even to the real meat of this meal yet. (laughs) (laughs) No, we're near it. Yeah. Um, okay, so this is just how the the corners. When you have three cubes, the the corners all nestle, and that gives you the triple eight. So um, another sort of reference, and we'll see how these references play into music uh, a little bit later. 
based on the the three different means. So you, if you want to look at uh, Jesus's name, again, you break it down in the uh, Greek gematria, which is nearly all of this stuff that's in this slideshow is based on the Greek gematria. Um, and you'll see that the, the 666 is a ratio of the perfect fifth, while the triple eight is the ratio of the whole tone. Um, so, and it's the whole tone that, that builds the, the scale. Yeah. Can, do you have any way to expand on this idea and help us non musical theory experts, George? Sure, sure. The the typical major scale that we use, the Do, Re, Mi, Fa, Sol, La, Ti, Do, that everyone's familiar with, is constructed of whole and half steps or whole tones. And these are also um, known as major and minor seconds. Picture on a fretboard, if you go one fret, it's a half step. If you go two frets, it's a whole step. So you get a succession of half and whole steps. You get three whole steps followed by a half step. Then you get another... um four whole steps followed by another half step. So this is the, the intervallic structure of a musical scale. And um, the, where the half steps are is what matters the most because it's primarily whole steps. So when you know where your, your half steps are, you, you kind of know what scale you're in as a result of that. Once you get you know better at understanding the way the scales work, that's just a you know quick overview of what, what these numbers are meaning here. Cause the fifth is very important. It's not, necessarily the center we'll talk about what the real center is um soon but um when you get to five and you treat that as a harmony when you put the chord that belongs there that is what gives us you know the amount of dissonance and what what the scale kind of almost requires it to resolve itself when we get to the fifth so that's why the fifth is an important thing to mention here and it happens to be six 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 which we've already seen like eight different times here so um that's going to start coming up a lot for sure I find it interesting too how the eight 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 is gonna eight plus eight plus eight that as just simple addition becomes twenty four and there's your twenty four HRSs of a day, which would be like a whole tone if you could consider the day to be like a whole tone. I don't know. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so this is much of the same thing. Um, we could probably race through this one and get to the next one, which is probably going to explain to people a little bit better how, um, how this sort of works with the keyboard. But, uh, generally this is just, again, the harmonic, um, ratios and why these are important. Um, you can see. I'm glad because I was wondering how you could, like, what whole numbers you could divide to derive the 8888. So. Yeah, it actually comes about because of those sort of three sisters that we were initially talking about or the three pillars, um, or which is uh, they are representatives of three different types of means. One's a arithmetic mean, one's a geometric mean, and one's a harmonic mean. And so they... Um, those three women, if you like, the three seasons, all derive their power um, from that singular um, godhead, if you like. Um, and usually it comes in the form like the where they come from is from law itself. So there's there's certain laws that are in place, geometric laws, ge- um, laws of harmony, and they are a pre- 
released from that. And you'll see that they are actually derived from the vesica as well. Um, you can have them as masculine or feminine, but usually they're the hori that are the three of them. So, yeah. So the, the HAG, we, we've said this before, but that's the, you know, they're the hags. And, you know, so many times, like, I don't know whose culture is trying to cast shade on who, but, uh, you know, the, the HAG of harmony, arithmetic, and geometry are often, like, vilified or made scary or evil and uh, into scary kids, you know, kids' stories. But we also know about Hecate having the triune aspect there. Uh, as well. So these could be the three faces of, you know, of wisdom. Yeah, exactly. That's what they are. They're, they're sort of part of the wisdom idea for sure. Um, and that's really interesting. You put a hag. I never thought of that. That's crazy. Yeah, that's right. That's the heart attack gun. Goes back to uh, uh, Frank Church holding up the heart attack gun, H-A-G, and scaring the shit out of the masses. So everybody uh, gets the message delivered with no postage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. Well, hag is sage, uh, philologically, especially because a lot of the ancient languages, the S, you know, if there was an S, it could be a s- sound like a snake, of course. And Whoa. it could also be a, like hagia is a, uh, it's that AG, first of all, is like the ach of Nakash. Mm-hmm. There's that. And then uh, basically if an S can also be a shush or an orus sound. So now you're like shag or sag, shin or sin, you know, it goes like that. There's a it, kind of interchangeability there. It just like depends on who is the one pronouncing it, whether they're going to do the shush or the s sound. So if you have a shag, it's basic. it's not far to just, kind of drop the aspirate and make it hag so you know, there's a, a shag is a, there. is a bird as well which is interesting mm-hmm. oh. and hagia was one of the epithets of sophia man okay uh this reminds the me mother of, a, of monsters by the way you know yeah right. this reminds me of during the crusades there was a certain word that they would test people to see how they would pronounce it and if they pronounced it a certain way, and if they were able to pronounce it to the, you know, and according to the new reset, then they were allowed to survive. Uh, that comes to mind. And I think it did have to do with the way they pronounced the S. It was like a culture, a reveal of the, the roots of where they were from. That's pretty crazy. And it turned into ethnic cleansing at some point. That's so wild. <laughs> yeah, I think it's going to be like maybe your. Shemites versus your Semites. <laughs> oh, because Semites are referring to people who claim to be descended from Shem. So just right there, you have the S versus Shush, you know? Okay, that's dangerous territory, though. Let's get on to the next slide. <laughs> I already said a word the algos are probably looking out for. So I should mention that a lot of this material um, comes from this book called Jesus Christ, Son of God. Um, so I can't take credit for hardly any of it. Um, and it's by David Fiddler. Um, highly recommend everyone get hold of this book um, and go through it because I'm only really just touching on some of the stuff in here and he goes into much greater detail. Um, it is just 
brilliant. I've been studying this book for for the last few months and still don't think I've uh, understood a quarter of it, but uh, it's deep. But um, so this is the again the harmony of Apollo, and you can see how you you have these two um, types of means: the harmonic mean and the um, arithmetic mean, and they're just done a, a different way. One's um, sort of like counting as you would normally: um, one, two, three, four, five, that way. And the harmonic mean is. Um, almost like a times tables or a, a dividing. Um, so you can see that these, um, this is how the keyboard's broken in. You have a six and a 12, which would represent the um, lower C and the higher C. And I should let George speak about this more than me, but um, you can, as this creates the, the fifth and the fourth uh, through the eight and the nine and, and how it's divided up through that 12. Um, but I'll let George sort of explain it better than me. I th- yeah, I think that the maybe the best thing for people that have a little experience with music, or if you have none at all, it, the most important thing here, as far as the relationship that comes out of it, is that you see there's fourths and there's fifths. And then there's one tone, what would be called a whole tone, like we were saying earlier, right in the middle. And this is what happens when we invert something musical intervals can be inverted. So fourths can become fifths and vice versa. They invert into each other. And when we discuss fourths and fifths, we actually call them perfect. And it's the only interval that we call perfect in, you know, the musical system that we use. And I think this is why when you get to the fourth, you're a fifth away from the octave. When you get to the fifth, you're a fourth away from the octave. So I hope that that kind of helps you picture it visually, but um, when we use the the rule of nine, we get our inversions. Nine minus four is five. Nine minus five is four. A seventh can be a second. Nine minus seven is, is two. So it, inversions are a very big deal, musically speaking, because something that sounds a certain way going up musically can actually sound a little different going down. The The direction of the interval matters. So that's why this nice little symmetry exists here. And I think, again, that's why we might call them perfect. Because when you get to the fourth and you use it as its harmony, we get something called the predominant. When you get to the fifth, we call that the dominant. And like I was saying earlier, when you hit the fifth, when you hit G from C, that is the chord that wants to go back home to C again. And um, I think when we see more of the diagrams that are coming, we can get a little more of a detail on it. But think of it this way. Uh, the, the path of harmony in music not to say that it's required, but what is naturally expected of a, a scale, a key signature, or we'll just call it a key maybe, is that we get from one, we go to four, we go to five, and then we get back to one again. Just like with the Horai, we have the seasons. We go through all three, what used to be three seasons, and then we start over again, we do the same thing. And musically, we get that, that same experience. And here, you can see that there's a fourth on either side, technically speaking. And there's a whole tone in the middle. So there's a nice symmetry there. What exists in between the fourth and the fifth is something that we're going to start discussing in some of his later slides. Oh, I see it now. Wow. Thank you so much for that. Cool. That is really neat. Oh, so four and five are at the base of the Enneagram. They're uh-huh. like the, the foundation. And I, uh, four is, uh, I've 
plugged Aphrodite in there. And it makes me think of the, she's the prima donna, the predominant, the prima donna. Number four is, uh, she's, she's beautiful. She's, um, let me think. She's the individual and her shadow is envy, but that's Aphrodite. And it's cool because uh, she's like a prima donna. And you're talking about predominant. Wow. Uh, if you put her as the fourth, it's got four in her name, Aphrodite. Awesome. <laughs> oh, oh, man. <laughs> Isn't it funny how it's just like right in front of our face sometimes? Uh, that just jumped out at me. And and keep in mind, too, we, we often use Roman numerals. So we would see, you know, Roman numeral one for our tonic. And then we would get Roman numeral four, Roman numeral five for the predominant and the dominant. So that may end up turning into something. We'll see. I'm not sure. Yes. The Oh, wow. That is super cool. So, and then number five next to her is Hermes, the observer. Uh, and they, they are, they interact in a very interesting way. They're like, uh, uh, cause Hermes is always flirting with her. He wants to get with her. Uh, he's, he walks behind her and he's always smiling cause he's walking behind her. He's admiring <laughs> her from behind. So their, their flirtatious <laughs> relationship seems to be at play with these numbers in a really fun way. It does. That's incredible. And technically speaking, um, we usually use triads when we talk about these harmonies, but the triad, we use a little more than a triad on the five. When we get to five, the dominant, we're supposed to use what's called the seventh chord. Now we have four different notes. And that fourth note, that special added note beyond the triad is the note that is the fourth F in this scenario. So they do sort of commingle in order to make the dissonance that's required to go back home. So that 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 adds to what you're saying, definitely. On <laughs> this is great. This is cool. So again, we'll sort of um, speak about these fourth and the fifth, um, and again, it's from that book. But the Pythagorean uh, philosophy is primarily concerned with the problem of mediation between extremes via the principle of ratio, logos, or or proportions. The result is harmonia, a fitting together. In the case of the musical scale, the two extremes which must be united are the octave, the one and the two, the interval from the low C to the high C. The arithmetic mean between the two extremes is the perfect fifth, while the harmonic mean between the one and the two is the perfect fourth. These ratios and relations are shown above in terms of string lengths. Cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's, you know, more of the same, but in a different, you know, different way to look at it. And um, this just speaks to that perfect thing again. You know, it's 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 clear why the fourth and the fifth are perfect and everything else is a major or a minor interval. They don't have as much of the they don't have as much clout. So this is the royalty of the scale, in other words, in case that makes us think of anything else. I always say from C to shining C to the students. Nice. I love that. Oh, Aphrodite, she turned into a fish, a silver-footed fish, or silverfoot is a nickname, and she mm-hmm. converted, she changed into a fish uh, when Typhon came. Hermes, Hermes became the stork, uh, but that is cool. Start thinking about Triton, he may end up, there might have something, <laughs> yeah. might have something we're, to we're, do. We're going to look at the, the, the medium between the, the fourth and the fifth, which we can sort of get to as the fourth is related to the moon while the fifth is related to the sun. 
Um, the perfect fourth and the perfect fifth represent the harmonic and earth, um, arithmetic forms of the mediation between the two extremes of the octave in musical tuning theory. They are the most powerful music intervals and form the underlying basic for harmonic progression in all forms of music. The various relations show, shown above between the harmonic, between the primary harmonic ratios being out the numbers of Apollo, the Greek god of music, Hermes, the inventor of Apollo's lyre, Jesus, the Christian personification of the solar logos, and Olin, Apollo's first prophet and the founder of the oracle at Delphi. The above relationships show that the numbers 1415, 1061, and are intimately related. They are, in fact, mathematical variations upon a single harmonic theme. The so-called musical proportion discovered by Pythagoras, the underlying foundation of the musical scale. So essentially what we're looking at here is that the gematria values of the names of Apollo, the god Hermes, the the god Apollo, um, Jesus or Olin, and those um, and and their equivalents are basically um, detailing where they are geometrically, they're, they're geometrical names um, to help you understand where they are musically and how they relate to each other. So the it's the values came first geometrically and the names are then applied secondarily. So you work out <laughs> a, a, a name based on the numbers that you have. Okay. Oh, my gosh. Oh, there's so much. Okay, you guys just got to take my word for it because I don't have time to fill in how I got here. But Obi-Wan Kenobi is a four in the Enneagram. Uh, and I was, I'm, re, I'm going through Star Wars right now. So just, yeah, sorry to, I'm not trying to derail. But when I was watching Star Wars, the scene where he says, these are not the droids you're looking for. Please move along. I am quite convinced that that is implying that there are uh, there's gematriological encodes to our language that can be uh, uh, used like a password to get what you want, if that makes sense. I think that might have been part of what that force mind control trick that he was doing might have been implying. Uh, how I'm just wondering how the numbers here are derived in terms of being attached to these specific names. Um, they're they're derived through the geometric and arithmetic means. Um, those three things, and we'll get to that. There's slides coming up that show how they actually uh, relate to each note and how okay. they're actually derived. So, um, yeah, very the good. Other, yeah, um, hopefully get to it again it's um it's all in this this book that people should really have a look at if they want to get into a really in-depth look at it but you'll see that hermes and apollo uh the two greek gods of music are brothers the sons the sons of zeus hermes invented the tortoise shell lyre which is offered to apollo in reconciliation after stealing the 50 stealing 50 of apollo's prize cattle since uh, Wiley Hermes made up for the theft, Apollo gave him the caduceus, another symbol of harmony in a gesture of friendship. These relationships 
relations between the two divinities may be represented mathematically through the harmony and geometric principles of mediation which underlie the structure of musical scale. In the equation below, we take Hermes, which has a value of uh, 353 and Apollo uh, 1061 to represent the extremes to be harmonized. It is then discovered that the geometric mean between Hermes and Apollo is uh, 612, Zeus, while the harmonic mean between the two is 531, Lyre. So what, again, you're seeing these names and the stories that interrelate with each other to tell you about geometry and music. These are definitely the droids we're looking for, guys. (laughs) Holy shit, that's awesome. It's so amazing that the liar is under the harmonic, you know, equation. It's of course it would be. When it works out like this, you know it's right. It's it's no denying it. Wow. That's my daughter's name. Uh Lyra. It's a English the English version of the of the liar. That's cool. She's very honest. I was going to say, Lyra is better than be, you know, Lyra is better than be a liar. Yeah, and now you know she's part of the harmonic meme. <laughs> brings that's, harmony. That's great. Yeah, this is really cool. This makes me think too of how like sons of Zeus, right? There's hundreds probably, and one of the difficulties of looking back at the systems the ancients were utilizing, not just the fact that they were different regions had different versions of the same character, but then different time periods would have different versions of the same character. So like, uh, it's kind of a tangent, but um, in Anacalypsis, Higgins talks about this, how Buddha is a age of Taurus version of the son of God, S O N S U N Krishna age of Aries, Jesus age of Pisces. And then in different regions, you'd have the same thing going on that like the age of, uh, Taurus version was, and I'm trying to remember who it was for Greek, <laughs> but later, uh, I think, I think it was Bacchus was the first and then, Di- and then, um, the next was replaced by Hercules, right? So either way, there's like time layer depths too. So we're seeing the, this regenerating, uh, three in one God character also regenerating in the mythology at certain points in what we're told or taught is processional time, you know, then that is its own ball of wax to decide whether or not that's even happening. But tangents aside, we can move forward. So this is some of the work that I did in preparation for the show, um, along with George helping me out. But um, what I did was apply the, the septenary cipher uh, to the keyboard and it has 13 steps. So it will go from a C to a C and then you find out where the rest point is in the keyboard and it turns out to be an F sharp, um, which is extremely important because uh, it, it's sort of both sides of the fourth and the fifth, as we were talking about before. So it's uh, the mediator between the sun and the moon in a sense. Um, and when you do the pull the white keys out and the black keys out, you actually get um, a series of numbers just based on the cipher itself. Um, the white keys will total a 28 and the black keys will total 20, 21. 
And you can see they are both divisible by seven, um, the seven notes. And you will get this four over three sort of a perfect, uh, perfect fourth ratio that comes out of it. And it's the seventh triangular number and the sixth triangular number. So I, I found this uh, application of the septenary cipher to the keyboard just really, really fascinating to go into. And you'll see that it actually lines up the rest point, the G and the T. Um, and the seven actually line up with this mercurial character as well, um, the the Apollo. I feel like we need George to weigh in. I, there's a few things that pop up here, interestingly enough. And the the first thing is that I, I, I don't know why I'm ever surprised by anything anymore, but the fact that this turns into, you know, the perfect fourth as the, the um, you know, four divided by three. It's, and that's, that's crazy in itself, right? And we also have um, the trivium quadrivium. You know, it just happens to be a reference there. Maybe it's maybe it's unintentional. Who knows? But um, the other part of it is that again we have this twenty-eight, and that again, I, like I said, that really means an octave. There's a lot of ways to see an octave beyond one octave. We really only need one octave to study. But once we start maybe discussing the overtone series and how it provides a very different sounding, what we would call a scale, I guess, versus equal temperament. We're, we're using the equal temperament keyboard here to come up with numbers that are proving potentially that we are, you know, using the wrong, the wrong tools to make the music that we have. So those are some of the things I'm thinking about here because uh, it also has to do with our alphabet. I was talking to uh, Lucas about it where, Alvin Boyd Kuhn in the esoteric structure of the alphabet. It's a really great book, which I also might flash a book here while we're at it. I highly suggest um, checking this book out if you haven't. It's it's pretty special. And he was talking about how the alphabet may have actually been structured to, you know, have motion where you make your way down to M, you come up back to Z again. And um, that may produce an analemma, by the way. I'm not sure if that might be something to, that's something to think about for another day, perhaps. But um, we're using English here. And I think that's another major factor because the 440 thing that we're kind of, you know, pigeonholed into at this point, where even the, uh, the string industry, the guitar string industry is, you know, balancing their strings to have tension at 440. It's, 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 it's taken over the entire musical world that we have. Um, it's no coincidence that we're, we're able to use the English language to get this, this connection to the keyboard because the keyboard has equal temperament. That's kind of a bastardization of music as it is. And then the English language with all of its um, extra stuff that we may or and or may not need, it happens to line up with this. And I just find those coincidences to be pretty stunning. It's, it's pretty interesting. And uh, I guess last but not least, we were just talking about fourths and fifths. If you now to the layman, if you want to look at this keyboard here, if you go from C, you get C, D, E, F. There's your four. And then if you go from G, G, A, B, C, and there's your other four. So we get a fourth in both directions from what is essentially a center point. And you'll notice that there's a black key in between F and G. And again, um, as Lucas said, as I said, we're, we'll be discussing F sharp for sure and discussing exactly what it means and why it's going to be so impactful for our, our conversation. We're not even there yet. <laughs> next we're not slide. even there yet. Coming up. Right next is the next one. Oh, okay, cool, cool. Uh the f sharp which is in between the fourth and the fifth uh the center of this keyboard 
um, the G, the rest point, is the tritone. And just by the name itself, we have the, the three, the one, and the tau. So it's it's telling us about um, a tau is two pi. It's telling about the vesica. Um, we also have tritone here, which is related to the geometric mean, which is 0.888. So again, we're seeing that triple eight encode. Um, the harmonic mean is the perfect fourth. The arithmetic mean is um, the perfect fifth. So triton, tritone, um, you know, how many gods hold a <laughs> triton? But um, let's, we'll go to the next slide because that goes into the trident and tri, um, triton, which is a god in himself. And again, it's just really a, a, a mercurial figure. Um, uh, showing the same sort of symbolism as Abraxas, actually, which again is like the Apollo that um, the the world gnomon. Um, so yeah, the son of Poseidon, Aphrodite. Right. It's yeah, got that the tr- uh, three to one. The three into one is kind of what that is saying, uh, and uh, from one of my recent. Uh, digs on King Charles, his little cipher, the RC cipher. Uh, it's it's really powerfully indicated that he's holding the trident. Um, it, the RC is a 93, 93rd periodic uh, element is Neptunium. So he's holding that symbol. And, you know, there will be a lot of psyops uh, being whatever uh, attributed to his influence. We'll just leave it at that. George, you want to talk about the um, the tritone and and why sure. it's um, sort of is what it is. Yeah, it's it's such an interesting and um, heavily. De- it's actually a debated topic, which I I didn't expect. Uh, you know, looking into all the research I have been over the you know decades, I've been thinking about what a tritone is, how it functions, what it does. But the most important the, thing, to- George, you know, the Greek tritone as it's spelled here with the Omega as the second to last letter is right. pronounced exactly like we spell tritone. Like people will look at this and be like, it's Triton. Oh, but right. I see what you the mean. Greeks would have been saying uh, maybe something more like tritone. Yeah. Triton. I think they would be saying, yeah, yeah, yeah you're right. You're ex- that's exactly right. Isn't that interesting? No, that's, that's tree beautiful. in it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he's the son of Poseidon. Poe is one of the ancient names for Buddha. And then Don means Lord, and then Psi means the mind. So Poseidon could be like the first mind. And then the mediator character is usually the, uh, like, uh, I'm trying to remember the exact term. It was like Deus Nus or something, the second mind. So <clears throat> anyway, cool. Triton sounds like, tri- Tritone sounds like he's the mediator of whatever cultures worshipped him or whatever people's you know, he's there's these trinities all the way around everywhere you go. Trinities, trinities, trinities. It's just about everywhere and everything, whether it's a myth or not. Yeah, I, I agree with that completely. And um, the tritone in music and shout out to that awesome episode you had with uh, Mario, because that, that that image of chaos actually reminded me of how important the tritone was, because you guys pointed out that there were six circles and each one of them was a, a pair of 
you know, Zodiac symbols, but they were the ones that were across the, across the wheel. And every single one of those pairs musically is, is a tritone actually, because that's how we see it on, on this musical wheel. For example, and we're going to be talking about C. We're always going to be talking about C, F, and G. And what's in between F and G is F sharp. The tritone we're going to be discussing is C all the way across the wheel to F sharp. Straight line. So that's it's already impactful visually, but musically speaking, tritones are technically the most dissonant thing you can do with only two notes. And if you put two very close notes together, they're not that close. Actually, a tritone is three whole steps. That's why it's called a tritone, musically speaking. It's three whole steps away. And because if you recall, I said you get two whole steps and a half step in a major scale. So a third whole step actually brings you just one fret or one piano key higher to this tritone. And when you only play two different notes, as uh, actually with the episode chance that we had, I played two notes, it sounded major, I added a third note lower, and then it sounded minor all of a sudden. You do need three notes for a full chordal context. But with a tritone, only two notes can produce a very dissonant and almost, it's, it's hard to say, when I say dissonance, I think people think that maybe it sounds bad, like it's a bad sounding thing, but they're not that close. If you play two, if you play one note that's only a half step away from another note, those two notes are going to clash heavily because they're so similar. There must be some kind of, you know, polar or, or, or some other um, shift in, in the way that they sound. But with a tritone, there's dissonance and this dissonance has purpose. It's dissonance that creates motion as if the wheel is moving because of this tritone. And the, as a result of a tritone, you, your ear, whether you're musically trained or not, your ear is actually going to expect to hear something after you play a tritone. And um, in music, the tritone is 100% an identifier of what key that you're in, whether it's C major, A flat major, that each key only has one unique tritone. So that's a good summary kind of platform for us to start thinking about what the tritone is and how it works musically speaking. It's a, it's a, it's a big deal in music. And, and you just said that the um, note and a half note away from each other are going to sound really uh, dissonant and clash a lot, right? Right. That's uglier sounding than, you know, uglier, like more bad sounding than this, which is also dissonant, but it has a, has a purpose to the sound. It almost makes me, well, it does actually make me think of how, people get more pissed off about things that are different with people who are very close to them. <laughs> yeah. you know, like you might not get like, people might not really care at all. Someone who's on the other side of the world in a different culture and they have completely different values, but your family member who has 99% the same values, but they're doing one thing you don't like. And you're just like, this annoys me more than anything in the entire world. <laughs> I have seen that happen for sure. <laughs> wow. That's interesting. Okay, so out of the vesica, uh, we get these these values, which are um, the the square root of two, the square root of five, the square root of three. So very important. Um, just want to show that this these things here are what's setting up um, how we find this mediation between two two uh, two points. All right, next one, Chance, please. Again, out of the vesica, we can also get um, the fire ratio, which is 
pretty interesting the the way this is done. It actually builds the um the sign symbol for Aries. Um and that's related to the phi. And again, we're showing this link between the names um, Hermes, Zeus, and Apollo and showing in terms of plane geometry or length that Apollo, Zeus, and Hermes are linked together through the ratio of the vesica Pisces, the square root of three, and how Zeus is a geometric mean between Apollo and Hermes. So it's just an, another way of showing that these, the names of these gods in Gematria actually show uh, very significant um, geometric relationships. Wow. The, you know, the, this makes me think of how uh, the story of, you know, Hermes stole Apollo's cows and then Zeus has to come and play mediator. It's like, it's almost in a, a full retelling of the story. Uh, it, and it's almost like they're, uh, and there's even a witness, you know, there's a farmer who is the witness to the crimes. Uh, so it's almost like the, uh, original, the origin of court, uh, you know, it has all the dynamics of like, uh, like Zeus is the judge, Apollo's the plaintiff, Hermes is the defendant. And he tries to, uh, there's all the ingredients of, uh, of somebody going on trial And Hermes is guilty, but he still gets off and he gets a reward in the end even though he's guilty. So it has a very unexpected uh, kind of twist. To me, they seem like geometrical riddles. Um, and then they've sort of maybe lost context through time, whether yes. it's been a retelling that's been incorrect or um, using different spellings or, or whatever it is. But they're basically um, trying to show these geometrical riddles and, you're supposed to basically be able to unfurl them and follow along with them as, you know, like a teaching tool. But um, I think some of them have been very misconstrued and um, lost along the way. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Every iteration, every generation of the priesthood tended to lose more and more of the actual Kabbalah of what they, because they weren't allowed to write that down. And things that they were writing down would get changed all the time. But I just wanted to point out Apollo, which is in septenary gematria a twelve. Although it's like A is A is one, P is three, and then O L L O are all twos. So if you were to do the P to B switch, because P and B switch a lot between languages, and then vowels are always pretty much interchangeable. But if you were trying to swap P to the V, but then keep the overall total sum 12, then you would switch the A to an O. And Obolo is still equaling 12, but numerically it's 2, 2, 2, 2, 2, 2. And I thought that was interesting. Oh, wow. That is really interesting. And I think that's where some of these names did sort of have their different spellings depending on what they were trying to use it for. But you, you can see we can sort of restore a lot of this information just by understanding music and the ratios um, and these geometric and harmonic means. So um, it's not like it's totally lost. So this one we're going to get into the root um, the root of two, 
um, which is a really significant number. Again, these like a transcendental numbers like pi in that they keep going. Um, they, they never stop. Um, and this one's just again comes out of the vesica, but we're going to see that the root two, um, the square root of two is, is very important to, um, to this overall, um, relationship and logos idea. So according to Pythagoras, the polarities of existence are represented by the number one and two, symbolizing unity and multiplicity respectively. Therefore, the ideal logos of mediation between these extremes is the square root of two, the geometric mean, which unites the extremes together in one continuous proportion and represents the ideal harmony of the universe. That is why the name of Apollo and Hermes, the logos personified, were derived from this central value. And this is where you have the um, the square root of two, and then you divide it into four segments, and you'll get all these different sort of values out of it that relate to names of, um, which is is basically like you have a, a square root of two times a thousand will give you the god Apollo or the god Pythus. Um, and so if you do a third of that, you'll get Apollo Pythus. You get, you do a half of that, you'll get the god Hermes. You do a quarter of that and the god and Hermes will turn up. So, um, it's just mathematics through name, basically. Yeah. <laughs> And you'll see why this is important as we go on. This will relate to music. Um, by dividing the square root of two into four parts, we arrive at the simple arithmetic progression, which give you all those names. Um, Hermes being 707 are reciprocals of one another of the 1.415 of 0.707 equals one, underscoring the fact that they are brothers of one another in Greek mythology. Interestingly, we can see from this material that we are not dealing with concrete numbers as much as we are dealing with functions or powers, which is how the nature of the gods we envisioned by the learned minds of old. Uh, from these central values of Hermes and Polo, which represent aspects of the ideal logos, many of the other key geometrica values are mathematically derived. Several of these are listed in the figure 19 are the geometria values were derived from the ratios of music or other important. So that's cut off there, but um, you get the idea that these, um, the square root of two is very important to how the names are built and then how they interact. We can sort of run past this, but you can see the god Apollo, Apollo, the god Hermes, Jesus, fishes and the net um, are a geometric mean um, mm. and unison between the arithmetic mean. So, again, relating to music. Um, yep. So, Next. So, 14, so these are coming 15. from doing that square root again, square root times a certain fraction and then times uh, a thousand. Yes, that's right. So what you do is basically draw the vesica 
And then from that, you can get, derive the square root of two. And it's really uh, by applying Pythagoras theorem to it, to a triangle that comes out of it. And that will, you'll derive the square root of two, the square root of three, and the square root of five. And these are the transcendental sort of numbers that form on, um, on these triangles that come out of the vesica. Wow. So four, 1415 is, uh, N. And an O, it spells no, and all of this geometry is in an O. <laughs> it comes out of the nature of the O. It's in the circle. That's cool. That's cool. And it's also worth mentioning because it I think it popped up before, but it's it's good to remind because it's a lot of stuff. Is that 707.707 um is really the best way for us to look at the tritone interval. And 888 is a good way to look at the major second interval, which is between four and five, between F and G, there's a major second. So this, these are 100% relating to what we've been discussing so far on top of all that. So these diagrams here will, will show this relationship between the C, the F, and the G, which is the fourth, uh, the fifth, and then the geometric mean between the 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 G and the F, which is the F sharp, the tritone, is that axis of harmonic symmetry. And so that's that center dotted line in that triangle. And so the nine is the arithmetic mean and the nine and the eight is the harmonic mean. So the G and the F. And this is just showing this relationship between these notes of um of the piano. And it's expressed in different ways, um, depending if you use decimal or, um, or, or on how you are actually expressing it in, in number value. Um, so those previous God's names, you'll see that they'll actually link up to this, um, arithmetic harmonic, these sort of three chords here. Okay. We can skip through these like pretty quick with just, just to show people. So you get the, this relationship between um, what would be the G and the F sharp is going to give you that 1.01, which is going to relate to a God's name. Uh, the axis of harmonic symmetry, the GM line is going to relate to 0.888 and, and so on and so forth. So you're seeing this relationship between the frequencies, between the, um, the, the notes. Again, six 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 seven oh seven um seven fifty and it's just just showing us. Wow. Uh, can we go back two slides? This is like I can't wait. I'm gonna be watching this for an entire week over and over on repeat. I might fill out the rest of this in my notebook with this. <laughs> when nine in in uh in the Enneagram, a nine is um slothful. It's a balance point. It's um, it, and these are personality uh, traits that we attribute to humans, but I think that there's way more truth behind that other than just personality dynamics. So number nine is slothful or balanced, uh, and then an eight is a challenger. Uh, so nine is like Yoda, and eight is Darth Vader, Darth Vader, right? But I want to point out that. Vader is a harm maniac. He's a harm maniac. And 
So he's an eight, which is harmonic that you're saying here. And uh-huh. in nine being swathful or balanced, math, math by nature requires a balance. And it's, it's unalterable. It's slothful. You can't be changed. So I'm finding like really deep emotional puns hidden inside of these numeric uh, values. And, and there's so much more to that than just what I'm saying here. Uh, but I just love what you're putting down here. Yep. So this is again. This is um, the three means sort of interact with each other, with each other. The three seasons or the three pillars uh, interact with each other, um, and it has this you know three over two, uh, four over three relationship. And you have this arithmetic mean, the perfect fifth, the tritone, which is the geometric mean, the harmonic mean, which is the perfect fourth. So these are your three sort of, and they all extend coming down or uh, born out of this sea, (laughs) come from the sea. Um, Again, so when we place this to other sort of uh, architectural stuff, what we get is the Doric, the Ionic, and the Corinthian. Um, And so this is what I I was applying this to these sort of other sort of measurement systems and um so again we're having the three seasons but we also have these three elements um and the three goddesses um do you want to say anything more on this george yeah for sure for sure this is what i was saying you know way earlier remember three is not just triads for chords but we have a set of three chords that we expect in a key and that is what ends up bringing us right back home to start it all over again. Um, the path of the path of the symphony, I guess you can call it, <laughs> because there's there's a certain way that things get to their most dissonant point and then they have to resolve. Just like a, just like the, the, the wheel of the year, it's the same thing. And we also look at uh, the way we write symphonies in something called sonata form, and it relates in a similar way. We have three sections. We have the exposition, the development, and the recapitulation. And then, of course, it brings us back home. And we start over again. So this idea that, um, you know, we have three different, whatever you want to call them, and it's part of a cycle that has to reset. This exists in music because, of course, we are actually manipulating the perception of time when we play music. We can play slow or fast. And if the listener knows the song or melody, you can change their, again, you can change their perception of time. You can push and pull on the speed of a melody. So if someone's familiar with it, they'll expect a certain uh, speed and you can actually play with that. So that's always an interesting uh, concept to me for sure. But what's even more interesting is that I've been hearing these words, Ionian, Dorian, for a very long time. They're part of what we know as the modes which is essentially a scale played from a different note other than one. And then you play from that note octave. So it, let's say you're in C major, but you play from D to D. You would get something called the Dorian mode. So these names have always been on my mind. And what we're really finding here, and I like now that instead of what we have, we earlier had the eyeball, what looked like the eyeball diagram. Now we have the base of the triangle at the bottom. This could look like 
This could look like a flat plane with a with a dome above it, perhaps. But more importantly, it could look like a, the an ionic pillar right in the center of everything, holding it all up, holding it all together. And the other thing that it functions as is something of a, a bridge or a mediator between F and G. And if you to if you were to play that F sharp after an F or a G, let's say you played F F sharp, your ear would need to go to G. If you played G F sharp, your ear would need to go to F. It, it has to go in either direction. So even though C is not part of that functioning, it is C and F sharp connected as a tritone does create this this idea of this this pillar. And um it it's so interesting that these, you know, that these the designs of these ancient pillars has a similar name to the concept. It's just proving again that not only are you finding that we've got Gematria making myths, but we have um architecture doing the same thing in a certain way. And Frozen music. They they weren't kidding about that. I mean it literally. Yeah. yeah. Um and if anyone's familiar with the, the Galvanic um application or application to a battery to our world, then you'll see that the ionic, and I actually call it an ionic bridge, is this uh, movement or energy between the the sun and the moon. So in this sort of layer, the Doric becomes lunar, the Corinthian becomes um, solar. And, and it's even is, core, Corinthian core is the heart, like core, car, yeah. Cordi- cordio cardio. So, yeah, so and it it lines up with your Masonic sort of ideas as well, right? Um yeah. where you have the 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 three pillars or maybe two pillars with a staircase in, in between. Um and then you'll have the usually the northern symbolism in the center, and then you'll have a sun and the moon, um, or the eye of providence um yeah. is over the top which is sometimes found in the center of the Zodiac as well. Nice. So uh, I stumbled upon the uh, Doric, Ionic, and Corinthian when researching the word order. Uh, It's a very long definition in my 1961 Webster's. Uh, it It included the nine heavenly realms. It included secret societies such as the Templars, and then it dropped these three different pillars. Um, and, uh, and I've always been just kind of fascinated with how much meaning there is behind the word order. And then you look up the word chaos and it's like one sentence, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but I want to point out that, uh, help me out here, George, did you say exhibition development recapitulation? That's correct. So that's a, not a form. What's that? It's called sonata form. Like a symphonic it's, form. It's not a form, man. <laughs> so that's a make a. It's an E D R, and uh, the word order has the D E R in the word order. So I'm wondering if the exhibition development recapitulation is uh, has an acronym value to the O R D E R. If there's if there's a there there. I'm just saying we're talking to be surprised. Yeah. Because, you know, it's one of those things where it's a translation. It, it was, it was definitely studied in a German or Latin first, you know? Okay. So I don't know, but that sounds very, very accurate. <laughs> yeah. And so it also, uh, it, 
EDR. Now, do they have to always be in that order? Exhibition this first? Is absolutely the order. No questions asked. Yep. Okay. That's crucial because um, in certain uh, blood sacrifice holidays, blood must be splashed on the pillar. So we have red is R-E-D. Right. right. It must be splashed onto a pillar. And so I'm just thinking about the E-D-R and the R-E-D and its uh, relationship to the pillar in certain rituals. Just a thought. It's almost like if it has to be an E-D-R in that order every time, no matter what, then by splashing R-E-D on a pillar, you're defiling order. It could be a chaos spell. It, that's an incredible analogy for that. I, I sounds pretty pretty solid, man. Pretty sounds pretty solid to me. That's great. Right. Yeah, yeah, I mean, the, even the, the very man. idea of blood sacrifice is a chaos idea because nature doesn't kill things needlessly for the most part. Right, you know, that's not really part of the order of things. Right, there are exceptions, I'm sure, but generally. You know, <laughs> the blood sacrifice idea is a uh, is a pretty out there plan, and uh, it's not maybe maybe it is against the divine order. Maybe it's right. invoking chaos. That's a really good point. Yeah, you know the word the words red heifer. Uh, you flip those around and you get hefred, afraid. Hmm. Heifer red afraid. <laughs> It's interesting. I know um, you've said this before, Chance, about um, about nature not being sort of minusing, not having the minus. Well, you sort of see the same thing with these three um, different means. One's about timesing, one's about dividing, and one's about adding. But there's no minusing. It's always you can divide something up. But it never gets taken away. There's nothing that it, whatever's here is here. And it's, I think that's a, a really interesting concept that sort of showed itself um, as I was looking at these things. Yeah, I mean, that's part of the destroyer regenerator thing in the Trinity that there isn't pure destruction. There's only changing of forms and the becoming of a regeneration. Yeah. Yeah, there's no, you could have you could have five apples, but you can't have negative five apples. So there's no such thing as negative five apples. Yeah, you can't take away from it's like that hermetic um, op- opposites law. There's not really opposites. There's the one thing and the degree of that thing. How much of it there is? There's no such mm-hmm. thing as cold. There's just how warm or less warm, right? Yeah, they're the gradient. Yep, they're coming from one. Yep. So from that sort of structure, what I did is basically started to apply it to the Zodiac in in my own way. And this is just me sort of working out these sort of ideas. Um, I like to play with visuals. And as you can see, I've got um, the 12 notes that are around. And instead of having 13, the two Cs sort of come back on each other. So it comes back to the one C and I initially put this, um, the tritone and the prime or the octave, I put them as the solstices. Um, uh, I actually changed that later on, but you can see the fourth and the fifth, um, have a relationship to the sun and the moon here. And when you're 
put the septenary cipher around um, this 12 notes, you get um, this 7 and 11 that show up, which is really interesting because that's actually a ratio that um, comes out of the vesica as well, obviously, but um, its relationship to for the Great Pyramid, which has a 7 height to 11 base. Um, so just something interesting. And when you break these, when you add the, the fourth and the fifth, you get a nine. When you get um, a major third and a minor six, you get a nine. And this sort of types of nines resolve themselves all the way through when you lay it out like this. Um, also, what I did was when you have a major or a minor, I put them as masculine and feminine. Um, you'll see why in a little bit and why that is. Um, and they can be, it, it's a really interesting concept in itself that these um, minor and major are masculine and feminine. But, um, George, I, not, you have any thoughts on this? Um, I think what I'll add for the moment is that the, there's even more to it than that at the end musically because um, an interval itself, yes, or a chord, let's say, can be major or minor. But within that chord, there are two thirds, two intervals of a third, two different thirds usually. One is a major third, one is a minor third. It depends on the order. If the first is a major third, you get a major chord. If the first is a minor third, you get a minor chord. But every major or minor masculine or feminine chord has one of each inside of it already. So we're already back to some more hermetic principles too. Man, this is cool. Uh, I, I, you guys probably already saw that there's the, uh, you know, the Star Star Trek logo in there with the with the vector. Uh, okay. And I know I keep I know I keep throwing things into like weird weird places, but <laughs> rewatching the uh, Star Wars series from the beginning the scene where they go into the bar and the music and the music starts to play with the crazy aliens everywhere. The very first alien they focus in on, he has a vector shaped head. <laughs> he's, he's got like a very, you know, that V shape that we got here. And when I saw it, my mind went straight to Capricorn because the shape of the constellation of Capricorn looks just like that guy's head. But now I'm seeing that it is also encoding it's the musical, you know, it's like, let the music begin. This, right. this is really cool. I was thinking about the lyre also, which could be <clears throat> to the seven and 11 ratio. The, the lyre would have seven strings or 11, but mythologically it's seven because Hermes was basing that off of the seven daughters of Atlas. Which is interesting too. If Mario's still here listening, Seven Daughters of Atlas. Atlas is holding up the sky. You know, he's like the the tent pole, and his seven daughters. Would that be Ursa Minor? Or the 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 seven notes of the major scale? Right. So this is what George was uh, sort of speaking about in regards to the three and the nine. And hopefully I got this chart correct this time, George. No, it's looking pretty good to me, man. <laughs> but it's the, the rule of inversion. Everything adds or you end up subtracting yourself to nine. And that's where, this is where like the nerdy music part, you know, comes in. You don't have to know it, of course, but there's major thirds and there's also minor thirds 
And the same thing goes for sixths. The same thing goes for seconds and sevenths. And if you recall, the fourths and the fifths end up being perfect. So we don't necessarily, and you can see here, they don't have major or minor on them. It doesn't work that way. And now we can see it in a brand new light, um, you know, with the anode cathode sun moon thing. We can see that they don't get the major or minor designation, but they would still add to nine no matter what. So it still happens. And it, it just relates to music in every direction. It's crazy. And I also see um, a V as I'm looking. I'm always looking for a V because of the, the five chord that we um, always use. You want me to move forward? Yep. Yeah. So this is from some of my previous work um, when I applied the man and I was trying to do measurements um, with the flower of life sort of stuff. So it was just a rough sketch. I thought I'd throw it in there um, and I was trying to work out this, uh, how the chakra system would relate to the body in regards to um, that flower of life. So, yeah, we'll move ahead and we'll see how I applied all of this together to come up with something which may or not be, may or may not be correct, but um, it's it's interesting nonetheless. Now, speaking of the three um, different modalities or the uh, three different means, um, I was looking at how light sort of has these sort of similar principles in a sense that you have the red, blue, and yellow is a type of creating um, color, different colors um, on the screen. And the other one, one's for is like you add color and the other one is you take away color. And this magenta cyan yellow is how you add colors to create more colors, whereas red, blue, and yellow, if you add more color, you actually get white, whereas you add more, co um, add more color to this one, you get uh, black in the center, which is very interesting at these two is sort of like a, a polar opposite orientation so just music and, and light seem to have a, a direct correspondence to me um and so i was playing with these three colors and how i would apply this to um music the, uh, this needs more investigating for sure as i understand it the magenta cyan yellow version is more uh useful for screens for that type of color, whereas red, blue, yellow is maybe what you'd use if you're going analog rather than digital and painting, right? So, one of uh, the thing is the opposite. So, the if you're if you're printing oh, a yeah, if you're printing a poster um, and you're using magenta, cyan, yellow, um, you can actually over it'll print say magenta first and then a yellow and then wherever they sort of build up in color you'll actually get different colors. Whereas the red, blue, yellow is used for computer screens. And if you have the red on full, the yellow on full, and the blue on full, you actually get white. So it's, it's yeah, they're, they're very interesting. Um, and sometimes when people design things on their computer using the red, blue, yellow, they go to print it out and it doesn't look the same because their their printer is using the magenta cyan yellow system. It's weird that yellow's in both. There's probably a reason for that. Yeah. You know, I see uh can you go back chance in the in the spaces where only two are touching? Mm -hmm. There's three examples 
I see the uh, the the Maitri cap of the Pope, and wow. you and you stack three of them on top of each other, and it makes the the old Pope hat of the Abrahamic triune triumvirate. That is awesome. So again, I was playing around with how this, uh, the scales, the uh, gematria, and how it lines up with the chakra system, and it just I ended up moving the tritone and the octave to the equinox because it was the midpoint between the the day and the night, um, or the sun and the moon, and so this is the chart that I come up with. Um, which I just found really interesting. And when you lay this, the cyan um, sort of color scheme, the, the cyan, magenta, and um, if you lay that over the top, well, the tritone becomes green. And I just found that really fascinating because it was sort of like um, depicting spring and the yellow becomes the, the daytime and the the if you're looking at it as a, a clock, 24-hour clock, then the moon or the blue color becomes a night. And relating this to the... A magenta char- would be like afternoon and evening. Yeah, red into the purple. Um, and then, yeah, into the dark purple, into the sort of... You know, I, just, I found it a really fascinating way of sort of teaching myself in a sense. Um, and so... The tritone and green, you know, automatically took me to, you know, the heart um, chakra, which is, again, is between the eight and the nine. So in this um, triangular layout, which is exactly where you see this, um, see the tritone turn up, actually. And from the previous sort of work, I realized that the, the middle of the triangle or the 13 was the solar plexus. And so that gave me a sort of schematic to lay out the um the 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 colors in relation to the chakra system. And it's just sort of interesting that the C's end up being at the, the top and bottom of our system, which I don't know, take it as as what you will, but I just had a lot of fun trying to um you know, uh pull these systems together. Yeah, uh in like Biofield tuning, people will use uh, forks in the solar harmonic set and associate C with the root and C with the crown, but they don't go, you know, C, D, F, F sharp, G, A sharp, C. They just go C, D, F, G, A, B. And they're going from uh, D being the sacral. So it's kind of like upside down to this, but I don't know if they have any math behind that. <laughs> you know, I have no idea. I think they're just trying to associate seven chakras with seven notes. Um, but yeah, this is interesting. One weird pattern that just jumps out to me is how CDC skips. It skips the throat chakra all the way down to the gut chakra, which is like, uh, I don't know, there's a lot of the immune, you know, the um, the powers of our immune, I am the moon <laughs> Immunity? <laughs> the immunity from the F to the F sharp to the G to the A. Just a, just a thought. 
No, that's interesting. And this isn't, um, it doesn't on paper here, it's not an, any official scale, but that's not, you know, we don't necessarily need that at the, in this scenario, in this example, this makes a lot of sense to have F sharp be the middle fire. It's, it's very interesting. And, you know, grass is green on the other side too. Yeah. I mean, either way, F is the heart in either system. Uh, and also in terms of how the body responds to sound, any coherent sound can assist any part of the body. So, yeah, oh, I'm not saying it's completely right at all. I was just trying no, to. No, 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 no. I'm just bringing about um, color, music, uh, the body all into sort of some sort of, uh, uh, you know, relationship that we can look at. Um and I just well, want there to should be a logic man. to it. Yeah. I mean, correlations should have a logic and they should mirror across all dimensions of the fractal. So this is, you know, really interesting. I've never seen anyone attempt to actually justify why a system of notes to chakras ever was developed in the way it is. I think it was sort of like yeah. the easy way in terms of why people do the solar harmonic version. Right. You know, but it's, it's great that this is happening because I've seen a lot of debate on which color is which note. And this is a much better argument than I've ever seen. Oh, that is so cool. Okay. Total sync. I mean, <laughs> such a good sync. I was actually taking the major arcana of the Thoth deck and breaking it up into color groupings. And I'm wondering if I can find correspondence with mm -hmm. the organization of the periodic table. Uh, with some of the patterns I'm finding in the Thoth deck and your colors that you're bringing out are the ones I found just before we started the show tonight. So this is like, wow. yeah, there's high magics, high magics in the air, fellas. <laughs> Incredible. Um, so this one, uh, again, talking with George and trying to understand these major and minor uh, and how they operate. Um, what I did was, again, had the all the notes of the scale outlaid around a circle, and then I started to create the the major and minor inside that um, circle. And what you'll notice, interestingly enough, is that one one triangle, the major, is a four three five, which is the four three five triangle is the the Pythagorean triangle for one, and then you look at the minor and it's three, four, five. So it's like it's, um, there's a mirroring going on. It's just an orientation between the, the masculine and the feminine. And I just found that really, um, oh, just really powerful in a, in its way. It's sort of mirrored like that and still express that trinity. Yeah, and this can actually be used for budding music theorists. They can easily see, at the very least, both of these have C and G. The only difference is the middle tone, the third, in other words. And um, if you spelled the D sharp as an E flat, which is totally the same, they're called N harmonic, same note, different spelling, that would be a black key, let's say. The black key in between D and E could either be D sharp or E flat. And the way we look at it typically is that we would see, you know, C, E, G or C, E flat, G. We see that the third is flatted in a minor triad. But the three and the four here, much like the one we saw a while back, the anytime you see three, that's a minor third. All your fours are major thirds. And now all of these fives are perfect fifths. 
So you can, you know, and I'm also, I'm kind of seeing a bit of that, um, what they want you to see on the globe model where to the right of the line that has a length of five, there's way more real estate out there. It's almost like when you see certain parts of the globe, you just see nothing but ocean and maybe like one little island or something. And I'm, I'm kind of seeing that here. But this is a great way to study how chords look and how they're only one no difference between major and minor. And so once I started, I kept going and I, I filled in all weaving. the, yeah, I basically started <laughs> weaving. And so the major is, these are all the major chords lined up on top of each other. And the, um, you'll see that the, I've used the same color for each chord and then the minor. And so after I looked at it for a while and sort of studied it, um, I could see that the the major chord to I can't really read that it's a bit small for me but um I'll find it on my iPad here um for a major chord to be created it. requires three sides of the minor and vice versa yeah so yeah I just found that really interesting that you had to create to create one minor chord you had to use three different sides of a triangle and vice versa <laughs> so i just just the way it was built is is just really fascinating yeah can we maybe uh draw one out as an example here of a major chord and the three different sides of the minor how like describe that with one specific example and i'll hover my mouse over it um it's hard to read but um, yeah <laughs> let me see. i'll have a look on this Okay, cool. iPad. Um, so there's a, what would that be? The the D, the A, and the F sharp is one on the major, which is a sort of like a light green color. Mm-hmm. And to create that same F sharp, uh, create that same sequence or triangle on this minor one, you have to go from the D to the A, which is a red. Um, from the A to the F sharp, which is a yellow, and the F sharp to the D, which is a purple. So it takes three different colored colors to create the the, the same pattern that would be on the the major. Does that make sense? Yeah. So like the major and minor, in a sense, their relationship to each other is like three becoming one. One becoming three. Yeah. On the other side of the mirror. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a trinity. Then if you're taking it as masculine, feminine, then one to create a masculine out of a feminine, you need like three different, yeah, it's, it's triplicities everywhere, but it's, it's just interesting. Yeah, it's cool. It speaks to the fact that a tri a typical triad major or minor triad is not symmetrical much like every scale is not technically symmetrical but that's the ones that we functionally use there are symmetrical ones and that's when the numerology kind of sneaks its way into composition and stuff because they don't do what these chords typically do you know these average normal chords so that's that makes sense that you have to kind of turn the wheel a certain way to recalibrate to get back recapitulation we'll call it and kind of recap your own chord So 
Um, again, looking, this is the string lengths. I don't know much about it. I just found it on the, as I was looking for certain things. Um, and now George will probably explain how the perfect fifth um, relates to the solar year. But this is um, basically what you would see in a flat earth model where you actually have the sun through the, the year, and this would be six months moving inwards to the um, Tropic of Cancer and then it would come out again and to the Tropic of Capricorn. So I just found this so the wide spiraling. Circle, tropic of Capricorn, Equator, Cancer. Yep. Right yeah. out from out to in. And that's, and yeah, we're just relating that sort of movement, that spiral movement um, to harmony and um no, that vibration. makes a whole that makes the whole flat earth solar movement concept make more sense fractally if it mirrors the spiral of string length circle sizes. That's really it's cool. crazy, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, tell us, George, tell us the the one about the um the perfect fifths, man, because that I've just my world's been rocked for <laughs> since you said it, basically. It's nuts, man. It's nuts. You know, they, they were measuring for instrument purposes for just, I guess, turning this into pencil and paper as opposed to just, you know, actual physical music, they were taking what were called pure fifths. Now, when we use equal temperament, we get a 360 degree circle like you would expect, I guess, before you actually study it. But this um, affects each interval. It kind of has to pull them in a little bit and take them away from their natural state of being. Now, how do we know what the natural state of being is, is the interesting part. Every pitch has an overtone series. The fundamental is the note you're playing. If you play an A, your fundamental is A. And then now you get an entire overtone series that exists inside of this one note, much like almost any color is a, a number of different colors and different amounts. Every note is every note, but their relation is different. So when we get a pure fifth, it's the fifth that we get in the overtone series. If you stack 12 of those, you come back home. And that circle is 365.04 degrees. So, and the year is supposed to be, you know, 365.24. So when we stack the fifths we're supposed to get, we get closer to the amount of time we're supposed to get for a year, you know, almost to, to the exact number, which is crazy. And we don't use them in our typical equal temperament system that we have now. Our 440 equal temperament life has completely removed us from the natural intervallic distance that is conscripted inside of each pitch's overtone series. I might have just said a lot so I can repeat things, but it's crazy wow. how far we've come. No, yeah, yeah. reiterate that, George. That is okay, a really okay. big point. And, yeah. you know, maybe I'll throw into the mix of what I think may be going on the the length of a year isn't exact the same every time. <laughs> mm, mm, interesting. And you know, Kinda like, you know, it'd be hard to pluck a string exactly the same vibration in the exact same spot more than once, you know, it's like nature but, doesn't exactly do the same thing twice. It's close, but right. But if you, but if you did know the adjustments through, through time, mm. then you could be like David and play the chord that played so well, it pleased the Lord. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> Very nice. I want to quickly mention too, what this 
immediately makes me think of if the numbers weren't there and I only saw the lines, I would be seeing music as it exists in my mind. The center would be the ionic pillar or the one or what we call the tonic. That's the note that the song is based on. We're in the key of C major and everything else dances around it. Every other note that's available to you that is not the tonic. They all are technically dissonant. Every single one of them, once the key is established, they all want to come back home to that place of rest, the tonic, the ionic pillar. And that's what I see here. You know, this is the nature of melody. This is the nature of harmony as well. Once you have the tonic established, everything wants to go back to it. And this is why minor sounds the way it does is because minor is trying to sound like its major counterpart. Not only do does every major chord have major and minor thirds, same thing for minor chords, there's a major and minor in it, but every major scale has a relative minor scale inside of it with the same exact set of notes. So when you play in minor, those notes are trying to sound like the major scale that it exists in. So even a major scale has major and minor in it. Side note on you know, what I was discussing before. So when we have an overtone series created by playing any fundamental pitch. If you pluck the string for A, you hear A. Once you manipulate the overtone series, you can hear a fifth, a second, all the different intervals that exist in the overtone series as the pitch goes up. It gets much higher from the fundamental. The fifth that exists there, it's actually the, the third overtone. We get an octave. The very next one is a fifth. This fifth is called the pure fifth. And if you stack 12 of them, and we're using the number 12 because there are 12 notes. If you stack 12 fifths, you come back to the beginning, and it makes a circle that's 365.04 degrees. So stacking pure fifths as it was meant to be gives us a, a circle that it resembles the year more than a you know perfect 360 degree circle. Does that does that sound better or worse of the explanation? <laughs> it's mind blowing, man. It just prolonged that that. that. Uh, entire year as the perfect fifth and that's what we've right. been saying that the, the sun is related to the perfect fifth and the moon is related to the perfect fourth right and then you have the mediator in between and it's just it's a uh, brilliant system yes it's incredible how we're seeing it now it's 365.04 or 0.05 0.04 so the word a year so here's something interesting if you do that seven times Mm-hmm. then the decimal will bring us back to our 28.28. Wow. And there, wow. it's just, it's been there all along this higher, much higher octave. Yeah. A 28. Say that again, mm-hmm. chance. So if you because did this uh, fifth, uh, 12 fifths for a year, seven times, then the fraction at the end, you know, you're adding 365 or 360.04 seven mm-hmm. times. Right. The right. fraction at the end will be a 0.28, which is the the 0.28 is the four sevens thing. It's the, you know, the yeah. fourth. Yep. Oh, my the, gosh. So like, a quick note, a quick note. Uh, Y-E-A-R. There's, there's five. A year, and it's A-Y-A-R. And I believe A-Y-A-R is to help or assist. I'm going to look that up. But that's mm-hmm. Latin, I think, it is to help. And it's like a helping hand. I mean, let me look that up. So the seven, I was when I was looking at the synodic times and the 
dividing everything by 27 or using basically the um, synodic time of the moon as the basis for calculating the rest of the synodic times as if it was a harmonic. Well, out of that came um, a lot of different, basically sevens (laughs) as, as a, um, a, a large, powerful sort of cyclic event of seven years um, in relation to the moon, sun, the whole works. I mean, it's just, it's That's all why there. I brought up like, what would happen if you multiplied that 360 to 0.04 mm. times seven? Because we're talking about the Sabbath, the rest, the point of rest, the day of rest, the Cetur dog in other languages, satiation. You know, Saturn satiated, satisfied. Mm. That's the point where, you know, we hit the, oh, that hits the spot. We finally came back to the home we were wanting. Actually, you should go to the next next slide. That's really interesting. So I, I plugged in um, the 364-day calendar into with the cipher. So you have um, a full movement from A to Z in the top half, and that would be your capital letters, then a full movement from A to Z, and that would be a lowercase letters in the bottom half. Um, and so that's the cipher going through um, twice, four times. And so when you apply the notes um, around, you actually get seven octaves. And there's like 40, 49 different notes or some, something like that. I, I worked it out. It's related to actual type of keyboard, but there's your, um, seven octaves, seven, seven turns up everywhere, man. And check this 13 out. 13 spoke circle is not easy to draw. So well done. No, this looks pretty good. <laughs> and there's, there's two things that come up, but the first one I'll mention is that pianos start at A on the left, the low note and the highest note is actually C. It's not A to A. So that works here too, which is insane. I mean, nuts, dude. <laughs> yes, the um, third division of 13 is geometrically extremely difficult to draw, um, but you don't, you don't really draw it. You actually just count days. Hmm. And so that makes it a lot, lot easier. <laughs> so, but dividing by 12... Yeah, that's why there's sort of these you can use um, multiple sort of calendars, but counting days is super easy. Drawing thirteen uh, segments of a circle very difficult. Yeah, <laughs> the twelve <laughs> the twelve section circle is a way easier pie to slice for sure. Oh yeah, hey, do that in your sleep. <laughs> Man, this has been really interesting, guys. I feel like we. Yeah need to get more of George's insights into the mix here after we've finished up the slideshow, which thank you for that. Lucas has set a nice table for us. Beautiful. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> I do want to check out that book that you've got. I've got so many I'm already reading, so it's very helpful to get the cliff notes from you. You know, one thing to mention also is that Pythagoras was said to be from Ionia. So I have a feeling there's some kind of some kind of little connection there for sure. There has to be. Yeah, I mean, even just the core Inthian, Doric, 
you know, the core in the door. Right. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's a corridor. <laughs> wow. Uh, well, the, the C and the D is your three to your four. Interesting. Um, I also think the Doric reminds me of door as in uh, deadly orcone radiation. <laughs> like it's the wow. lunar, it's colder light, right? If the Corinthian is the solar. And then the ionic, of course, IO is one and zero, pole and pole. It's the androgyne, the mediator, the middle ground. Right. And the uh, ratios awesome. of those, mo- uh, what do you call them in architecture? Uh, style, the style or mode or something, you know, mm. there's a certain word for it in architecture, but it's uh, the ratios are 16, 18, and 20 in terms of uh, Doric is 16 units high for column, 18 units high for an Ionic, and 20 for a Corinthian. Oh, wow. And I wonder what maybe if that has any bearing on this other stuff or if that's a separate you know, system of measurement and classification. Not um, sure. They might be hiding something there with how you would actually transfer those. If they're in a specific measurement system, if you transfer them into something else, they might give you more information. Nice. Nice. That is, that is interesting. You know, that I'm looking at it. I'm, I'm trying to see if, you know, you said 16, 18, 20. So I'm trying to see if, you know, one plus six, seven, one plus eight is nine. The only thing I can think of is that, and they're not matching up with the ones that we've been discussing, but it's there. Is oh. that when you look at half steps, a fourth is a seven half steps, and the I'm sorry, the fourth is five half steps, but the the fifth is seven half steps. So I was trying to find some, but I, I don't think it's there. There's one six one eight. One six one eight. Isn't that a phi? Yeah, it's phi. Oh yeah. Yep. So one six one eight, and then you. Like you were saying, George, the yeah. 16 becomes a 7, 18 becomes a 9, and that's the uh, periodic number for gold is 79. Oh, AU. Yeah. Whoa. So I want to know if anybody in the chat has any questions for George or Lucas specifically. And then while I wait for some of those to come in, I want to read from the Orphic Hymn to Apollo. <laughs> Nice, Because this is interesting. I mean, in terms of Apollo as a mediator and uh, very much like the Gemini twin of Hermes, like they're kind of both doing the same thing. Uh, Here's the here's the segment I want to read for the origin and completion are both in your care. The cause of the blooming of all things with your resonant lyre, you harmonize the entire axis of the heavens. At one time advancing to the lowest pitch, and at another to the highest, at times in the Dorian mode, you temper the entire axis. You keep the tribes of living creatures distinct. Yeah, that sounds like separating the chaos into its places, right? You have mingled in harmony the share of all mortal men. You have mixed an equal measure of winter and summer. You have arranged the highest three strings in the winter, the lowest in the summer. You are the seasonal Dorian flower of the lovely spring. Thereupon, the mortals celebrate and call you Lord and Pan, the two-horned god who sends thee whistling winds. Wherefore, you bear the formative seal of the entire cosmos. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. I think we just laid out like months of mystery to unfold. <laughs> it's so true, man. Okay. Like the, the one, six, one, eight thing is like, that's the I and D that's your five is your personal health information. That's your ID. You identify and it's got the gold in there. It's got the phi in there. And Chance, you said something in that poem about like keeping something alive. I think the placenta is in play. I'm always looking for placenta, but it's like, you know, their personal health information is, is part of your ID. And it's like, there's like some kind of, they're playing the music of whatever the, the mean value of your lifespan, you know, the threads that the weavers, the, the, that the three fates are keeping track of. Well, it says you've mingled in harmony, the share of all mortal men, but the word share in a modern sense is how we use it. But what it means in the more archaic definition to share something is to, to violently divide it by cutting. (laughs) <laughs> so, you've mingled in harmony the share of all mortal men i don't know there's some stock market stuff going on here y'all <laughs> <laughs> this, um i just sent you something in telegram chance um that relates to this ionic sort of ideas and it will take us back to the idea of wind um which the winds of chaos or the four winds and those sort of things So when I was looking at the Ionic pillar, um, it took me back to this Eolic, um, and it means of the wind, referring to an action of power of the wind. Um, and Ionic wind is also like a plasmic wind, um, so it's a charged wind. Uh, it's how you transfer uh, electrons, basically, or from one side to another and that's you can have and you can think of um an electrolyte in a battery as an ionic substance um but you can also think of it like in a gaseous terms it's ionic so it's a transfer from positive to a negative or vice versa um it's how things are built but i just noticed that when you look at the pillar itself or the eolic pillar you'll actually see the ram's horns um again when you're looking at and this is why i got stuck on that uh the the wind idea that mario was talking about which was 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 fantastic um and this idea of the chaos winds and and those sort of stuff but when you actually and it's something you said chance where you can um change the m to a w um when you do that with wind the word wind you actually get mind so again we've got this connection between eolic which is of the wind and then you change the w to an m and it's fucking mind and so you've got your mental the mercury the mind as that singular p- pillar in the center so um it's just yeah it just in feels the, uh, like air or wind correlates to mind in both western and eastern esotericism yeah and it's actually when you i was listening to this guy to speak about um some of these creation stories in an elemental way and it was what it was really interesting he said well first there's wind 
um, first there's a space created, then there's wind, then the wind creates moisture, and then the moisture and the wind create the fire. And I'm like, just think about that in terms of electricity how electricity is kind of a type of wind. If you need the space for there to be wind, it's the cavitation pressure gradient flow fluidity of all things. Yep. It's the, it's the, the differential, this, this pull and pull push and pull between the fourth and the fifth in music, you know, it's this, um, wants to move and as George has said with the F sharp, when you play that tritone, (laughs) it doesn't want to stay there. It wants to move to the next thing, which would be a G or the F. Uh, it doesn't want to stay in that spot. It's sort of creating movement by its very essence. And so that pillar, even though it's the uh, rest point or the top of our skull or that point where you go to to meditate, the whole world sort of spins around you in a sense. It's um, that you are that ionic pillar. Your spine is the ionic pillar that creates the polarity and all these sort of different ideas come into play. Uh, probably get ahead of myself here, but hopefully it's making sense. Well, no, and even looking at the way these horns are on the top of the aeolic pillar, we have the right brain and the left brain. Or if you go back to the chart that you made with the mute, the notes in a circle with the colors, you know, one side you have the one and on the other side you have the seven and as you walk across from above or you walk below whichever half of the semicircle you walk up it's going from one to seven seven back down to one right it mirrors each other just the way that the septenary cipher of the alphabet walks up and then back down so that's your left brain and right brain which are mirrors and how like for there to be any kind of uh movement you have to have this mirror with a space between it for the that's guy. like how there can be yeah, yeah and that's where existence can physicality <laughs> you know that's where the realm is built yep the pole in the hole <laughs> as mario <laughs> puts it that's how that's how the that's how babies are born and all the rest of it so yeah it's the same same process you know yeah this has been awesome guys uh George, you got anything cooking up in Third Eye Edify that we should know about or recently mm. published that you want us to check out? Yeah, I just released an episode about, um, you know, witches, Macbeth, a whole bunch of other stuff. Maybe a little Francis, um, not Francis, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, yeah, Francis Bacon and a few other guys like that and propaganda in general. I thought it was a pretty, you know, timing appropriate episode for the season. So people want to check that out. I think they'll enjoy it a lot. And um, what's coming? Oh man, I'm definitely going to do something on Amanita Muscaria for sure. I've been thinking about that a lot and theogens in general. I want to definitely do some more work on that. And I think that everything we're looking at here is actually getting me to think more about it in a certain way. The way the mushroom um, stem goes into the cap is, uh, is, looks like a maypole. It looks like the tent that we were talking about, you know, to start this conversation. It is another form of the ionic pillar. So in, in its own way. And it's also masculine and feminine at the same time being a breast and a phallic thing at once. Um, it's, that's definitely on my mind. I'm, 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 I'm diving into that, but having done all this, I, the next year of my life is already occupied in my mind. I, I, so <laughs> there's, there's way more to, to figure out here. There really is. 
because the terminology, there's so much overlapping terminology that um, it, it can't be an accident. Just like Lucas was showing with the gematria of those gods' names, how their story actually relates with the gematria too, which is just stunning. Um, same thing here. I'm sure we're just we're just catching the tip of the iceberg here. Oh yeah, we are. So the tip, <laughs> man. Like, I reckon these these guys that that put together this stuff were on a whole different level. Right. What was their training, and who trained uh, them? Just, I, I call it information stacking. Mm. You know, and they just once they had that firm basis, and that's what we sort of didn't get given. <laughs> Right, you know, right. and what we're all sort of searching for is a firm basis to build our information, to build our structure on. Um, you know, we just we just didn't get given it, but you know, for people that did, it's only um, God knows whether you'd get, you know, what I mean. And yeah, how I well think you that there could be a factor here in synesthesia, and how right. uh, maybe the natural state of the human being is actually to feel. And then describe rather than describe and then take your feelings from the description. <laughs> that makes sense that uh, there's a primary consciousness experience of reality that is then separated into descriptors that we call the seven, five senses, whatever number you think you have. And then uh, those senses are kind of like the description, uh, they're a language of sorts. And in a synesthetic, maybe proto-human, pre-mind control type of uh, existence, maybe, you know, the correlation of note to number and color was way more self-evident. And then it was just about uh, accurately transcribing into the mythology what it is that was the felt experience of everybody all innately and naturally. And then now we're like, so we're, we're like having the, experience of reality akin to uh playing a video game but only looking at the mini map in the corner or walking yeah. downtown but only looking at the map on your phone and never looking at what's actually around you and thinking i'm this is where i'm at i'm i'm inside this map and that's our, <laughs> that's us with language and so it's like um you know might be very it explains maybe why it's so difficult to uh to accurately build out this architecture of symbolic correlation because we're doing it from within a construct rather than making a construct out of the natural materials. And and what it seems that they were teaching is like they started from the position of unity and then they expanded out. And that's exactly what you're saying there in a different way is that like you get taught about the unity and then all the different things extend from it. And it's similar to the Zodiac in a sense. It's like you have the unity and then avatars of that unity are the um, different expressions of the season um, or different, um, how do you put it? Like the, the, essentially like Aries is an avatar of the, of the singular one in the center as well. You know, they're just avatars of that, um, of that type of expression, that type of note. Yeah, man. I love that idea. Uh, Information stacking. That's, that's going in my pocket for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like one, one day I just realized that like we use the term first, second and third. And we just think of them as, you know, on the surface level, but you, when you remove the numbers from, you know, F or I'm sorry, one ST, two ND, 
three RD. You take the numbers out and you get standard. And there's like a level of revelation to being like, well, one, two, three is the standard. And so then you start looking at, that's what I do is I look at all things that are standardized. And that's what this was. It was like a babushka doll party of all things that are standards and all the levels of revelation therein. I'm seriously going to be playing this back for a month and a half at least. And I'll probably be dropping comments in the show notes or <laughs> in the comment section, like for a whole month, because <laughs> this was great. I love what you brought up there because in the tense of language, all we have is first, second and third person. Right. And that's how the Godhead is described as the three persons of the Godhead, the three in one. But to really get to the Godhead, you're actually needing to go to the fourth wall. <laughs> you know what I mean? To, well, like, because uh, you can have the experience of, um, you know, yourself as the third, second or first person. But even whenever you're looking at your own consciousness or awareness as the I am, you know, looking at your own first person who, well, which person's looking at that? <laughs> who, who's looking at the feeling of I am? Because there has to be, and there, there's a fourth wall because that's sort of where the set, where the camera, the Oculus is actually pointing from. And it's, yeah. um, you know, that's that perspective is seeing all the characters in the scene uh, on the theater of life, if you will, from one unified front. <laughs> okay. Oh my gosh. Okay. So the only other uh, suffix I didn't use is the th, like the right. first, second, third, and then there's the fourth. Hey, and th is a twenty-eight, and it's um, it's Kronos, the T on top of the H. You put them together, and you get the sign for Saturn, and that's the fourth dimension. Is time. Nice, dude. Yeah, and all the. The, you know, Thoth, Teot, Tot, many different names of the Godhead too, the av- avatars. <laughs> right. Uh, and, you know, another, another language trick, Lucas, if you want to be writing these down, cause I know you want to chart <laughs> is I brought up the S to SH T interchanges with TH as well. Hmm. And uh, actually T, TH and SH have interchangeability. So that's a, there's a lot of overlap there, but tan side. Yeah. Oh, look, I was still blown away by the wind and mind sort of, you know, change out. And then with water, you had matter. You just change, you do the same thing. You, you change the W with the, the M and you get um, matter, which is the, the mother. And so you have this mind body. Mother is, is related to sort of the salt, the earth, and then you have the mind aspect of father, mother aspect, and Mercury sits. You have Mars, Mar, and War. Mars, god of war, <laughs> M-A-R-W-A-R. You have mares, which are horses, and they travel carrying your wares, your, your <laughs> commerce, you know? Yeah, and, and the, they have a mane, which is a name. That was, that was interesting, too. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so the hair, hair. When you were talking about hair, it's always like it always brings back to like name. So giving something a name. 
Wow. <laughs> okay. I love it. <laughs> All right, guys, let's, let's wrap this up though. And let, you know, closing thoughts are fine, but let's go around the horn, Gabriel, empty your cup. And then, uh, Lucas and George. Oh my gosh. Uh, Thank you guys so much uh, for bringing this together. Another mind-blowing experience. Yeah. Big, big love. I mean, there's so many more babushka dolls to be birthed out (laughs) of this little homunculus party we just had. I can't wait. I can't wait. So, uh, yeah, thank you guys. Uh, It is awesome to be on this journey with all of you. Oh, thanks. Uh, look, it's it's great to be on here. Um, I've really enjoyed this, and especially to George. Thanks, mate. Like being able to talk to you and and make sure I'm doing things correctly and and <laughs> laying things out has just been brilliant. So, um, yeah, we'll keep communicating and work through more material. It's brilliant. So, and thanks, Chance, for having me on, mate. It's uh, it's great. So. This ain't the last note on the musical topic, I'm sure. Uh, no, no, I'd, I'd say no to that. <laughs> but yeah, Chance, definitely. Thanks for slapping this together, man. I'm surrounded by you geniuses. guys. Did all the work. I I'm just royal run the show. <laughs> I feel like I'm 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 in the royal court with you guys. It's wonderful. And you know, Lucas, thanks for giving me the opportunity because you keep sending slides, and I'm like, every time I'm like, amazing. What is this? And then I can say, oh, you know, maybe this should be a zero for the A or, or whatever, you know. And I'm making small little knowledge-based adjustments on all of your hard work. It's awesome. And uh, it's been a pleasure this whole time. I mean, it's incredible how it hasn't been that long since I was on, you know, the universe a few weeks ago, but so much has happened since then. And now your, your fans get to see that. And I think that's an incredible aspect of all this. It's, it's wonderful to be a part of really. The winds are blowing in our minds pretty quickly. (laughs) (laughs) we're on the weave wave as Gabriel was telling me in a voice message earlier today. Nice. All right, guys, we'll wrap it up and see you on the next one. Thanks for tuning in everyone in the comments. Thanks for that super chat, Logan. Uh, You know, feel free to super chat now that that's possible on YouTube. Just throwing that out there. All right. Much love everybody. Night, night. Talk to you guys later. All right. Thanks.